We're happy to have this episode sponsored by Real Mushrooms. You probably already know about some of the great benefits of adding mushrooms to your diet, like better sleep, greater mental clarity, and a stronger immune system, but not all mushroom products are equal. Real Mushrooms is the real deal. Many mushroom companies harvest the mushroom and the grain it's growing on. Real Mushrooms products contain no grains or starch fillers. They're organic, cultivated naturally, and third-party verified for beta-glucans, the compound that makes them so valuable as a supplement. They even have a science and medical team of doctors who ensure that Real Mushrooms meets the highest standards. What I personally love is how informative their website is. Have questions about what mushroom is right for you? They have a robust blog with articles ranging from women's health to what mushrooms are most beneficial to your pet. Want to boost your immune system? Have better sleep and feel more calm? Grab the link in the show notes and get 25% off of your first order. Curiously enough, acupuncture is not just sticking needles into people. It's part of a coherent and observation-based medicine that experienced practitioners of the art have handed down over the centuries. I'm Michael Max, your host and guide of Everyday Acupuncture. Listen in as we explore how you can apply the principles of this ancient medicine in your everyday life. Hello, everybody. This show is another one that comes from the time that I spent here at the American Academy of Medical Acupuncture in St. Louis. Today I've got Ron Pukki, Dr. Ron Pukki with me. He uh, is an acupuncturist and medical doctor, lives up on uh, Salt Spring Island, up in uh, beautiful, absolutely supernatural <laughs> British uh, Columbia in, uh, in Canada. And uh, today we're going to be talking about the use of acupuncture in end-life process, death, dying, uh, the kinds of transformations that can happen at the edge. Ron, really happy to have you here on Everyday Acupuncture. I'm glad to be here, Michael. I was sitting in your talk, I guess it was yesterday, and you had some amazing stories to tell about easing, helping to ease people's transition at the end of life using acupuncture. Uh, That's right. I'm, I'm curious to know how you found your way into using acupuncture in that context. Well, I, I think it was um, basically um, I started studying acupuncture in 1975 with uh, J.R. Worsley, so one of his very early students, and uh, and then I began doing it in my general practice. How were you using it in your general practice at that time? Well, I was using actually the he was teaching in a very simple form, uh, just know how to do the command points basically, and do that for three months. You know, don't they all had their own spirit? You didn't have to use large spirit points. You just use the command points in their elemental sense and, and, and try to, uh, you know, estimate the constitution and see where you went just with using the command points. So I w- I w- that, was, that was the way I did things in the early days. And then every time you'd go there, he'd add more on. And it wasn't presented as a complete system. It sort of, it was added on over a, a couple of years, basically, you know, at that time, going to England four times a year. So you get some experience, and then you get the next piece, and get some experience. That's right. That's right. It was piece. the first teachings, basically, that he was putting out at that time. You know, right. He, even as a teacher, he was known to be a good acupuncturist, but the it was the beginnings of the school. 
Well, it seems that any of the schools, when they're beginning, they, they do kind of work that way. They're That's figuring right. it out yep. as they're working on their students. That's right. So the first students are kind of like waffles, really. You kind of throw those classes away. They're a little <laughs> little undercooked <laughs> yeah. sometimes or yeah. overcooked. Yeah. <laughs> Nevertheless, the results were amazing. Even, you know, like it is a simple, there's a principle of simplicity in acupuncture, too, you know, is... Uh, Doing things, uh, you know, with a famous uh, "less needles, the better" theme, you know, in, yes. in some instances. So that was the idea that we worked with, and it was enough to keep us going. It was, it was interesting, for sure. Uh, but, but then, um, by the time 1978 had come along, uh, I, I was, you know, I had gotten my licentiate degree, and I was working on my. He called it the bachelor's, which was the next level up, and then a master's, right? So I was in the bachelor's program, which is much more clinical, and we were, we were doing more, more work with them and really having to pin down the Constitution. And a lot of talk of spirit points and the fact that as we were emerging further and further from post-war, uh, somehow we were losing our spirit. So, almost, you know, the more and more people needed spirit treatment, spirit-level treatments. And at the beginning of my career, it was like 40% of people needed it. And by the, you know, not even at the end, it was like everybody needs it, right? By the time we, he died in 2002, right? So... Uh, uh, so at that point, it's uh, you know everybody was getting spirit tre- level yeah. treatments. There's a couple of terms that you've used here that our listeners might not be familiar with. So yes. I'd like to go into those just a little mm-hmm. bit. The first mm-hmm. one is was a constitution that you said. Yes. Yes. So tell us a bit about constitution and and how that plays into the work that mm-hmm. you do. Well, um, in five element acupuncture, it's not just that you can be disturbed in a particular constitution. And, uh, you, know, it's th- uh, you know, it's an important part in figuring out the disease process. It's that the Constitution is your personality, basically. It's your way of seeing the world, your lens of seeing the world. And uh, so if it's wood, uh, you have a wood lens and a wood personality. And uh, you could even split it into two aspects. It would either be the, the Yang personality and, and, the, and the concept of the officials in, in the original book, right, the Yellow Emperor's book, or, or you would be the liver, you know personality you know the general or the field commander so to speak you know mm-hmm. uh, and, and but it although it wasn't exactly a blueprint it's it's pretty close and uh, there were strengths and weaknesses within the system and they would manifest in the individual and so if you just treated the source points and it was primarily with tonification that would touch the essence of who you were and uh, by brightening that the rest of the system would come into alignment does this play out with the end of death work that you do it, it does, um, but it's not the the major vehicle. Um, with the end of death work, it's primarily fear that, that dominates the scenario uh, with most people. Mm-hmm. I mean, obviously, there are some people who can do. They have lots of practices in their lives or outlooks that, or if they're in their eighties, they know how to do it. You know, it's not like we have to figure it out. It's often when death comes early. Or there's uh, a lot of stuff that you've left unfinished in your life that, <clears throat> that's troubling, that it becomes more of a problem, as you might imagine. You know. Can you give us some examples of how you've used acupuncture in end-of-life situations and, and how it's been able to help people in different ways? I mean, I, su- I suspect there's a peaceful passing. That, that's one piece. But totally. like you were just saying, sometimes people have unfinished business. Yeah. And so it's, it, it's hard to let go when you mm-hmm. haven't. Let that's right. Go. That's right. So I had my my first case. Um, I mean, I treated my parents, and they, before I got into actually doing it on patients, I, my parents um, um, uh, were at end of life. My my dad in '78, and uh, I just finished uh, starting up uh, along with a bunch of other doctors, the American Holistic Medical Association, 
we, we had our first meeting at that time, and then I sort of went there home after that to where my dad was and was with him for a week, uh, or sorry, for a month, and just departed about a couple of weeks before he actually died because I, you know, I had my family practice and we'd had a long time to be together and, and say our farewells. And I did some acupuncture on him and some other things because I'd studied with Kubler-Ross during the early years of the American Holistic Medical Association. So I had a different view on the standard view of death and which was like, don't say anything about it. And uh, so when I went back to my, the hospital where my dad was in Toronto, you know, everybody's coming in, I noticed and saying, John, you're looking great. And he didn't look great, you know. <laughs> you know, they were just totally pretending that nothing was wrong and being earnestly, you know, sort of falsely anxious at the same time for themselves and, and wanting to be see their old friend, but it was a bad, frozen situation. So They were trying to be helpful and just didn't know how. Exactly. And then my dad, I saw that he'd get all tense about it, and I asked him, do you like that? And I said, and he said, no. So I then went, and before they would come and see him, since I was there a lot, i just say, look, he's dying. Don't pretend he's not dying. You know, I've been with Elizabeth Kulderosh. Just, you get, you've only got so much time, and he wants to talk to you knowing that you're not going to see each other again. And they sometimes choke up about that. But Don't they, waste it. They, they, they did it, you know. And yeah. so, What a wonderful opportunity. It was a wonderful really. opportunity to, to get in and do that, yeah. 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 And so we did a lot of things that I recommend now when you imagine celebrating your life. We, you know, uh, when he was getting further along before I went, I took him back home and sat him in the backyard. And he used to like to have a beer and even a cigarette. So I got him a beer. He didn't have the beer or the cigarette, but he was sitting in his chair looking at the back of this golf course (laughs) with a smile on his face, you know, that I, you know, got him back in the car and drove him back to the hospital, you know. So that sort of stuff, really uh, helping people to sort of live their life until the end was something that I did as far as I could until I left, and then we, we said our goodbyes. And I did points like GB20 a few times. He was having some... Mm-hmm. So GB20 is this one on the very yeah, top? Yeah, it's the very top of the, of the, the vertex, and it's, it's uh, 100 meetings is one term, but it's a connection with the celestial ancestors. And um, one time he was having these dreams uh, of, uh, you know, they were tough. They were sort of like a life review before you die, you know, and, and I said, that's fine. You're just having it early. You know, I described that the, the people were talking about these things. And I think Raymond Moody was already <laughs> had his stuff out there. And uh, I did that point and it settled down, you know. And um, so it was good. Conversations, uh, changing the viewpoint around death and some acupuncture points. But then five years later, um, my mother, you know how these things can happen, right? She uh, uh, ended up dying at my place too of, of cancer. And... Uh, she had a lot of pain. The cancer was uh, um, in the uterine area. So when she arrived, you know, about three months before she died, she was already in a palliative situation and a lot of pain, you know, the sciatic nerve and things like that. So I, all I did, because she, I think she was upset about going because my, I had a brother who was 18 years younger than me, and she just thought two of them going at the same time, like you know, her father and then her. It was yeah, a, he's not going to be able to handle. Yeah, it. he's not going to. So, so that's the resistance, you know, in the wood. You know, you don't want, it's not right, it's not the right time, it's not just, it's not fair, you know, that all the wood elements. So uh, I just sedated the liver and the gallbladder, uh, yuan source points. And uh, she felt quite a bit more relaxed and relieved, and within a day, all of her pain was gone. And uh, my GP colleagues who were looking after her, you know, you know uh, the, the one thing they said at the end, your mom was here for three months, but she didn't take anything more than an aspirin. And forget about it, the Tylenol wasn't even that popular. So she'd take the odd aspirin for her pain, right? You know, so, and then had a very, and I did a few, few more treatments and she had a great death, but I, I couldn't put anything to the acupuncture in any way. If, even if I could have, it was my mother, for God's sake. So, I mean, you, you can't make this, a, it didn't take me anywhere, but uh, some, maybe it set me up. Maybe I planted a seed. Because I was called in by a GP friend of mine um, about two years later with a patient of mine who did have cancer, uh, 
metastatic breast cancer, and she was in her late 40s, and I guess a little bit like my mother, she was really struggling with having to go. She'd just gotten divorced a couple of years previously, was looking after these kids, and uh, she, it was scary for her, to, you know, and she was only in her 40s. So I treated her when she was going through the palliative treatments, and then um, I didn't see her for a while. I knew she was sinking. We had mutual friends. We live in a small community. And then I thought, well, it's not going to be long now. She's going to be, be dead, you know, because... And then one night, I got called by the family doctor, which was unusual because back in... This is almost 30 years ago. The, uh, my, my friends thought I was crazy for doing acupuncture, right? I used to do general practice, right? And they didn't, couldn't quite understand it, so I'd never gotten a call. Uh, but this, this doctor who was more open-minded... They, they, they somehow tolerated you. Yeah, they tolerated me. And this, this doctor called me and saying, look... You know, you know so and so, and and uh, she's dying tonight. She's got uh, she's got uh, pneumonia in both lungs. You know, and they're full of fluid. But she's also very she's in an agitated delirium. And her friend said that you'd helped her uh, before. You know, maybe you could come. I thought, well, and I, and I actually knew this person because she'd babysat at times. And you know, in a small community, you know people, right? You're the you're the local country doc. That's right. So it wasn't hard to. To, and also, when I, I, I arrived there, I thought, well, what am I going to do? I, and I was parked in my car outside the hospital, and I thought, well, i got to meditate first, you know. And um, so I did that, and I thought, I'm just going to go in there and do my best. I had no idea what I was going to do with this particular situation. I had never been in an acute dying scenario. Would it be fair to say you went in sort of empty? I, I did. I did. Went yeah. in empty. I think that was the theme that I was working for. Yeah. You know, I'd, I'd been working, uh, I learned how to do uh, meditation from a, a, a Tibetan Buddhist monastery that opened on our island, and they were, they were doing these three-and-a-half-year retreats, and I was the doctor for the retreats. So when I went up there, ultimately one of the lamas taught me how to meditate, so I, I had a, an idea of, of being empty and emptiness. This is, uh, you know... It sounds like some really good training for doing this sort of work. Mm. Yep. Being able to sit with that stillness. Mm-hmm. So when I came in there and I, and I saw somebody uh, in an agitated delirium, mumbling and tossing and gasping and terrified... You know, opiates were there, but terrified, right? So they weren't really doing anything. No, right? no, and, and I have talked to uh, palliative physicians who say, well, in the delirium, often you can be cranking up that opium, and nothing's happening because it's not a physical pain; it's the existential pain, of death, of dying. And, and the opioids won't touch that. Uh, no, I don't even know if they make it worse because uh, ah. uh, you know. I think I, I think since the the kidney, it has a lot to do with you know the opioids and endorphin systems. It's sort of a watery thing in a way. Uh, it, 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 it's uh, you know, the, the, it somehow smothers things a little bit, you know. But just a, my idea. I, I mean, I've been in opiates once when I broke my leg. You seem out of it, right? Uh, and um, later on in the work with dying, I found that one of the nice things about doing the, these acupuncture points is, is it lifts people out of the opiate suppression to more alertness so they can, without, you know, changing pain whatsoever, they're more alert, you know. So and they'll have two or three days of... Of, of, of rising out of the opiate effect that over-sedates them in a way because they can't speak so well to family, they're sleeping a lot, and they get out of it, you know? Are they actually taking less opiates at that point, or it just lifts them out of the current Well, dose? you know, often, you know, people are prescribing them, so they're going to go on following the prescriptions. Either the families have been set up to do that. I'm not going to start saying, hey, back off the opiates, because mm-hmm. what's the point? No, I was just curious to see if there was this, this effect from the acupuncture that would in a sense, counteract the opioid. It, it did do that because when I would be called back at weekly levels, they'd say this would last for three or four days. So obviously, if you're going to do it as a, a new style of practice, if you're right in a palliative care situation, you would do it every two or three days, right? And then you would probably keep that happening. Yeah. So. so what happened with this patient? So I walk into her room and she's doing the, as I described, and I thought, my goodness, 
I could, I could just sort of feel this idea of being terrified. So I went in and I did uh, Kidney 25, Spirit Storehouse. I just did the points. I mean, it was right, all I mean, in the room. right near the heart, too. Yeah, yeah, the second rib space, and, and I did the left side and the right side. And then right away, I did uh, colon four and lung nine. I mean, she was gasping, you know, so I didn't think about it in a, in a profound way. I just thought, this might help, you know. <laughs> it's helped those lungs out here. <laughs> it helped those lungs out here. And then I thought, God, she's awfully scared. And I did, and I did kidney three. So I did that all in a cluster in the five element style, a quick tonification. I mean, once I found the point, it was like a three or four second procedure. So I, I did boom, 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 boom. And, you know, then the, the ankles, right? Yes. And then um, I just sat back because I didn't know what to do next. And then... Uh, I noticed that her breathing slowly started to get easier, you know, started to get easier. And uh, the, uh, the deli- well, the, the delirious state, you know, she, she couldn't speak and there was some moaning, but the, the, the more profound aspects of it stopped, you know. And then I thought, well, maybe I'll do uh, a point on the heart. And I did heart seven, you know, and then I sat down again. And then um, I just sort of, um, sort of looked at her and uh, just made the comment, well, you know, even though apparently there, there was a, a, a the spiritual connection she had been working on was was given up with everything else, like it was a, a everything was negative because you know this whole experience was just not right, you know, mm-hmm. and and so I said you don't have to abandon all of the things that supported you. Before I just started talking to her, I didn't know as clearly as I do now that the people in that state when they're comatose can still hear you. You know, the people who work have found. You know, even, you know, there's been s- somehow yeah. the people who are experts in this area saying, no, you can keep talking right till the very end. You know? Evidently, it's the last sense to go. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, well, at that time, there weren't even hospices around, right? We're talking about the, the early 80s. I think they just started about then, you know, so. So there, there was uh, this quiet period. And then, then I started just talking to her like a friend, you know, look, you know, there's other things you could do. You know, if it's, if it's not Buddha, you were raised a Christian, you know, maybe Jesus or just the love of the people around you, you know, and your children are going to be looked after. Well, I started to have a little bit of a conversation. And then when I started talking about it, I thought, you know what, what I should do is, you know, one of the big antidotes for fear is, is joy in any way, your spirit's in your heart, you know. So mm-hmm. uh, I, I, I had done heart seven, then I did CV14, you know, which is the, the citadel of the heart, right, the front move point, you know. And I found that's a huge point for this, this thing. So that's helpful for people. Is that helpful for most patients who are in a yes, yes, yeah. dying process? Uh, Especially when there's right. difficulties with holding on. Exactly. Now, that was the first patient but it had the, the basically the, the blueprint for the rest of it ah. deal with the fear uh-huh. and, and then ultimately go to the shen where you're going to you, you enter and you leave with just the shen right right the shen which which we translate yeah, the, the spirit in English. that's right exactly the uh, our drop of the uh, total ocean of existence right it's our drop our own of personal the, drop our personal you know sort of tiny but holographic mirror for the everything right uh and and so uh one of the books, um, I think Grasping the Wind, describes it as these massive towers outside of a palace or citadel. So it's like the gateway into the emperor's palace, right? Yes, you know? yes. And, and, and in fact, that's exactly what they are. Yeah. When you were doing the lecture yesterday, yeah, yeah. Um, you were talking about it as a gate. And, and I looked at the character and was thinking, well, it's got gate in it, but there, there's something else in here. Yeah. And it is. It's, it's, it's the watchtowers yes. at the, at the at sides of a gate. Yeah, yeah. So even more profound. I mean, you... You just have to go straight in. You can't come in sideways. You have to go right in, right? So I did that, and then I did. And it's a well-guarded gate. It's a well-guarded gate, it's yeah. well-guarded yeah, gate. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's a, got a lot of precious qualities in it, and you have to go in with the right attitude, right? <laughs> so, but anyway, with the acupuncture, you the preconditions are, are, are and everything else that's going on, and especially the moment of death, there's a lot of, you know, when you're there, because I've never done it before, suddenly every, everything stops, because I'm in a moment that we are all in, ultimately, all of us, 
with somebody else. And so we're sharing a moment of great profundity, just as profound as birth, just as profound as birth. And I was doing a lot of obstetrics, so I really appreciated that. You know, you were working both yeah. ends of yeah, it. Yeah, both ends of it, right? Yeah. Being a GP. And um, so then I just, you know, we, sometimes you don't even know why you do it. Then I thought, well, I've opened up this gate again, so, but there's also the inner gate. I should do pericardium six to connect with the heart. And then I thought, I love Assembly of the Ancestors, and maybe she's going to meet him. I mean, I'd already done <laughs> some of the early books were out there, and I had some ideas of that anyway from the experience around my mom. So using some of the, yeah. looking into the names of the points. and Yeah, yeah. Pulling that energetic just out of Pulling that energetic out of them. So I just did those points. And then um, she was really had a peaceful look in her face, you know. And then I just sort of sat there for a while, and I could see she was just completely peaceful. And I thought, well, if she's going to go tonight... I mean, she's been on, she was on IV antibiotics and fluids and stuff like that mm-hmm. for the pneumonia. I mean, they sort of did it in those. They didn't stop. Right. Ah, nice and smooth. She'll have an easy right. easy transition out. Yeah, so, and then, and then I, I go to home, and I, I go to sleep, and I thought, well, that was a profound thing. And next morning, I'm at work again, and it was around 9. I'd already seen one person, and my secretary uh, gets a phone call from the doctor, and, and, and then she knocks on my door. Come on, come on, this doctor, she's really excited, you know, really upset. It was the way she translated it. So I go a little nervous because nobody ever referred me a patient from a medical community. And, right. And then I... Uh-oh. Uh, yeah, uh-oh. And then I, and then I, uh, I uh, pick up the phone and, the, and this doctor saying, what the H did you do last night? And I thought, uh-oh, did I make an error? Is she worse? How could I possibly make an yeah, error? Killed her. <laughs> yeah, that's right, yeah. And she said, uh, well, what do you mean? I said, and she said, well, she's sitting up on the edge of the bed and she's talking. And her breathing's a lot better. So wow. yeah, so I, I I was I was sort of invited in to do this, right? I mean, I, I was no longer with working with hospital privileges, but uh, I mean, obviously in a small community. So I went back and saw her about three days later, and then by then, uh, she uh, she left the next day. She, everything had resolved, and she went home and lived another three months. And uh, and I would see her maybe once a week or so during that interval, and lots of things started to change around the the kids and communication and and uh, and many many other things in her life. And by the end, she was doing her former practices and and doing better and. And then I, I said goodbye, and uh, and then um, you know, she died a week or so later. I wasn't there at the time, you know. But her friend said she had a great death, peaceful, ready for it, everybody around, you know. Hope you're enjoying the show. I'd love to know about what topics are of interest to you. If you have a health concern or if you want to know specifics about how acupuncture can help to promote vibrant well-being, visit the website at www.everydayacupuncturepodcast.com and send an email. Did you start seeking out people to work with in no, the no. process? Or, the, or this is just part of your job as a doctor? Part of my job as a doctor. Just, and of course, gain these friends, these friends talked, yeah. you know. And a lot of them said, well, I'd like to have that done. Make sure you're around when I'm dying because I'd like to have that done again. You know, right. with, on me, I saw what happened. People are talking. So it's just the caregivers. that Then ultimately I saw uh, 20 people before the paper on End of Life was uh, published in uh, the uh, American Academy of Medical Acupuncture Journal in the summer of 2000. Mm-hmm. Which is, and now which paper is this? The one of this academy, AAMA, mm-hmm. uh, has a journal called Medical Acupuncture. And uh, the editor, Richard Neensaw, was kind enough to guide me through the process of writing it so it sound, si- sounded scientific enough that we could put it in the journal because it was way out there. <laughs> it was way out. Th- I mean, 
at that time, there was no idea that people could uh, could uh, do something to intervene with a, an, un, an unhealthy death process for a, a scary death process for people. It's obvious if you look at it, what's going on, right? But, mm-hmm. you know, it, it freaks everybody out, including caregivers, right? You know, because what are well, you going to do? Well, kind of freaks most of us out. So this is, uh, tell us a little more about that paper. Was it a, was it a protocol? Was it uh, yeah, well, case it, it, studies? In a way, I, I had that you know, case studies. There, there was two of them presented. that had about 20 at that time. So... I think this first case was around 80, the late 80s, you know, maybe 80, 89. And then, then, then the, uh, the paper was written in uh, 2000, so I had about a decade of seeing people. And, you know, it wasn't like the people were, you know, coming in through the back door. I was doing lots of other acupuncture, right, and, and, and teaching and stuff. I started teaching with Chuck Moss at that point in time. But um, I did have people on a fairly regular basis who basically ended up being cancer patients, and then if it... As they progressed, you know, I was, they were feeling better. I was called in to do something. Do you see this kind of acupuncture being used in hospices these days in the area where you live? I don't yet. Uh, you know, when, when you do many things, number one, acupuncture was a pioneering, uh, particularly in medicine, pioneering sort of a, uh, event and being in holistic medicine, which is now called integrative medicine. But all those things are really solid right now. I think everybody accepts acupuncture except for a few diehards, you know, that just don't like anything that's not standard medical care. Is seen as evidence-based, right? Mm-hmm. It is. Um, so, I, and also, I think we haven't been able to look at dying squarely. That's true enough. Just looking at that squarely alone is not that good. In, uh, at that, you know, there's other cultures that absolutely will. And I learned a lot about other ways of dying from different cultures and small vignettes of experience that that occurred just around me. I didn't have to go very far. Uh, that showed me there were other ways of going out, looking forward at death rather than looking back at the the past in our lives and trying to hold on tight, if you turn around and face it. So the original paper was called Five Element Acupuncture, a powerful tool for uh, for uh, dying well. Uh, but that when I talked this, this week, the reality of it is it's healing into life, whatever's left of it, and healing into death. Because you have to do that first. You have to heal into your life, which means... At least look in the right direction and use every day as a precious day. Now, recently there was a New York Times uh, article that was blogged around with uh, a famous neurologist, uh, Oliver Sacks. He just showed up with everybody because he said, I've had a great life. He's a real dynamo anyway. I hadn't met him, but just in his writings and in, in the other people's descriptions of him, he was a great mentor. He says, I'm just going to stop watching the evening news and I'm going to meet with friends and I'm going to maybe travel, but just going to live every day in, in, in a profound enjoyment of being a sentient being in this amazing universe and, and more on that vein, right? You know, so eyes wide open. Sounds like you took it as an opportunity. He took it as an opportunity. And that's exactly uh, what I found working in this way with patients would do. They would turn around and wrap up their lives, some of them in, in magnificent style. Might as well have your wake before you go. Exactly. So the idea of having a... Uh, not a no, not a wake after you're dead, but having a, a celebration of your life while you were still alive, even if you're close to death, you know, and every, you're just lying there in a little chair and everybody's coming around and talking about your life, you know, giving you like the same eulogy as you get at your wedding, <laughs> you know. <laughs> Honestly, people are starting to do that. Independent of me, they just, people said the heck with this, you know, we're not going to be so solemn about it, you know, and, and, and you know, and the fact is we, every time I'm with somebody who's dying, I say, I don't have to say that this is going to be me now, but this is us. You know, it's no longer uh, IAU, it's, this is us. You know, yes. it's our state to be aware of death and have to go through it and be wide awake, so why not do it? So this helps us, too, helps us prepare for that moment. It does, yeah. Tell us a little more about the, the acupuncture points that you use for this. Is it kind of a protocol, or do you do it individually for each person that you meet? Well, sometimes um, 
as I said, there there are obstructions uh, to dying well, and, and in the in the agitated state for some people, um, you have to as well as doing those initial spirit points. I'd say I do that right away first because somehow that sets the context. But uh, there, the second person I saw after that first real patient what came about two weeks later, and I was called to somebody's place because they were there. I think at the uh, you know they knew the other person at any rate, and so they said, "There's this other fellow's an old friend who was dying of prostate cancer." And he was also delirious and very, very angry, just swearing at everybody. He was furious, you know. Uh, so I went over there, and, and, and this time I thought, I'm not going to do this spear points today. There's just too much anger. I'm just going to sedate. I did the four gates, basically, except, except I added in gallbladder 40 as well. I thought I'd do some of it, but I might have even put in colon four. Oh, sorry, lung nine. I just thought, you know, to myself, anger and also just holding on like that, you know. Yeah. So I'm going to relax. And these are very simple acupuncture. Yeah. Let me ask you, if, if someone's not an acupuncturist, mm-hmm. maybe they're a nurse, mm-hmm. um, or even a family member, just a loved family member, and they can put their hands on someone they love, mm-hmm. can they just, like, touch these points or massage them? They or? can. They can. They can. The, the one group that accepted this idea were the Shiatsu people in Canada, at least, and they had an organization and a newsletter, and they asked if they could reprint the article and then they began to have classes on it, and they, they, they told me they were getting results. Uh, it was, with, in, in medicine, though, it was like, you know, so I had, uh, because it was an acupuncture paper, and I was involved with the American Academy, and they were part of the team that when Bill Clinton put in the National Institutes of Health $200 million to look at alternative medicine, this paper was one of the things discussed. And, and they said, oh, this sounds really neat, but it's impossible, you know, too good to be true, right? So, and then one of the doctors who was there at the time said to me, because she then was a student in the Five Element Program a year or so later, she said, and we talked about this paper because I was talking about it again with the, uh, the group. And she said, and then and everybody thought it was just too much. But now that I've been here, I can see that, you know, it makes sense, right? You know, just if you look at what the meaning is of these points are, that it, would, that it could work. So we can put a copy of this on the uh, show notes page for people. Yeah. Yeah, the 2000 article. Yeah. Great. It has, it has one case that it was a... There's, there's two phases of dying recognized now. There's a lovely piece on uh, Medscape that I recommend people look at because it came out in the end of March just before I had this talk, and I thought I'd splice it in at the end of my talk because it's, it's uh, the last days of life, and it's for physicians or anybody who works with uh, people, including family members, and they describe how to make a, a better scenario. They, they do hear you, talk about it, you know, do the best things you can, you know, have them stay at home if possible medically, you know, like a, just to change the whole picture. And, uh, but there is a lovely diagram, two paths to death. One is the normal path where you just get weaker and weaker. And then one is the hard path. Fortunately, the majority is the easier path. You just get weaker and weaker and you get taken care of. And the other one, man, you, it's like delirium and just, it's the fight, right? And it isn't pleasant and there's, uh, you know, more pain and distress for everybody, right? When you see that happening. And then it exacerbates the fear on all sides. So everybody's freaking out, including the person who's leaving, you know, who's dying. And then I realized that the acupuncture had the ability to sort of take that path and at least bring it to the, to the normal path. And, of course, with the normal path, you can enhance the experience of it by opening up the... Uh, so the second case history that's on the article is about a person who was uh, artistic, right? So I was called in, and they, they had... A, it was a prostate cancer that was identified, and these are all nameless individuals, and it was so long ago anyway. So um, I was just invited to go on because the family knew that it had helped them, and so I, I made one home visit. And, and there, it wasn't like the other hospital scene. It was... The person's place, uh, there were sculptures in the, uh, in, in the yard that this person had made. It was a teacher of art, too. And uh, the whole family, the, the daughters and the sons were there with their fiancés, and they were taking pictures of each other. Actually, it's a little poignant just talking about it. Everybody was happy, you know, happy. And then he just wanted one more treatment, you know. 
And so, uh, and there he is looking out the window at all of his stuff, at all this family gathering and joy. And so I, I didn't have to do anything. I, you know, I, I did CD14, interestingly enough. That seemed to me I was drawn to do that. And in spirit, in Kidney 25, to just open up maximally the connection with spirit. But then I treated Earth, because that was his constitution. And there he was, surrounded by the harvest of his life. And so, uh, I won't forget it. So, and then, then he just shakes my hand like some samurai, you know, and says, thank you very much, that was perfect, goodbye. Goodbye. I really appreciate what you've done. Goodbye. You know, look me right in the eyes. Look me right in the eyes, you know. And three or four days later, I got a call that he had died completely peacefully and a good death, right? You know, so, you know, but I could see it when he shook my hand. He was had no fear. He was there. Yep. He was there. Yep. Hearing that story reminds mm-hmm. me of a patient that I had when I first got out of Chinese medicine school. Yeah. Older fellow, cancer of a sort, basically came to me because a family member said, why not mm-hmm. try it? Mm-hmm. And because uh, the doctors opened him up and just said, "Go home, get you know, you got six months, get out of here." Yeah. And um, he came to see me for two years. Mm-hmm. All right. Now I'm, you know, did the acupuncture help? Did the herbs help? Mm-hmm. I have no idea. Mm-hmm. But here's something I know about this guy. Every time he came into my office and left, the place was brighter. Mm-hmm. Right. This is just a man who was in the process of dying. I mean, he mm-hmm. was in the process of dying for years. Mm-hmm. And he never, for a moment that I knew him, mm-hmm. let it stop him mm-hmm. from being really present in the moment with yeah. what he was doing and who he was with. Yeah. It was, I mean, he's one of my really great teachers mm-hmm. in that way. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. And, and I remember going to his house to treat him mm-hmm. uh, toward the end of his days. Yeah. And and a very similar thing. His family was there, and and uh, it was just it was a way of saying goodbye. Yeah. So I think for the average physician, you know, you're you're looking, you know, this is an idea that's just coming now. You're struggling just to, okay, my whole job is to keep somebody alive, and sometimes at all costs. So you look at advanced uh, cancer, which I, I work in that area, integrative cancer care, and uh, I know that the third line chemotherapies, which are hugely expensive. Extend your life by a matter of months, I and mean, there's not a cure that comes with these things, and nobody expects that. But so you're spending a hundred thousand or more dollars to extend your life by a couple of months if you're lucky, and probably not the greatest quality of life. Uh, no, and and these things are not tested on the average sick person with advanced cancer. They're tested, they're, they're tested on the very healthiest because otherwise they couldn't have a test. They'd be, you know, they 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 pick they they handpick the best people with the same advanced level of disease because there's a scale between you can be at the top or the bottom in your condition, right? Mm-hmm. And then when it's you know basically used in a general practice population, you don't get the same results. So even with the best situations, it's a matter of months, and sometimes it isn't anything, you know? So, but nevertheless, there's this, people sometimes, as I've described it, they, they want to die with an IV in their uh, their arms just in case a cure comes, you know, in the last breaths of their life. It's just uh, the fear, right? In other words, it's the fear. It's the well, fear. the fear and the fight. Yeah, the fear and, and the fight, yeah. you know, we have such a militaristic language mm-hmm. around illness, especially cancer. Yeah. You know, you fight it, you beat it, you battle it. Mm-hmm. And I mean, up to a certain point, mm-hmm. I, I suspect, yes, right? Right, well, of course, we, yeah. We want to live. Mm-hmm. But it seems to me that making death the enemy, yeah. when death is approaching, when death is near. Yeah. Can you talk to us a little bit? Of, I, actually, you have been talking to us. Yeah. I, I think what's coming for me in this conversation is recognizing that there's a point where there's a shift from fighting to accepting. That's one of Elizabeth Kubler-Ross's uh, concepts, too. As I said, I started working with her back in the uh, 
mid seventies. And it was first was anger and denial and then acceptance. I mean, so in a way it was mirroring some of the things that would happen ultimately naturally, but some people of course don't go there. They're fighting all the way and it's, it's not, that's the one, those scenarios that aren't so they pretty. they stay in that first stage. Yeah, that's all right. The way yeah, through. yeah. All the way through. So just to break that, you know, just to break that. The last moment's going to be extremely powerful. I mean, the great yogis, <laughs> they made them extremely powerful. Well, in, in the old Zen masters, would have a poem after yeah, death. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, I, I peppered my talk today or the other day with a lot of beautiful quotes. They were gorgeous. Yeah, yeah, they're there, yeah. There's a book yeah. called Graceful Exits that was a source of quite a few of them. That's that's the source it comes from. Yeah, yeah. Great. That's, yeah. that's a book? It's a book, yeah. Yeah, I, I don't know, I, I forget who the author is. It was a woman, but, you know, that title would... You know, would and then, but there's a poem that, you know, Coleman Barks is so good uh, and so famous for his Rumi poems. Uh, there's one called On the Day I Die, which I saw was, is quoted by a number of people who are working in the death model. But the first, uh, the first paragraph is wonderful. It's a long one. But then there are about six or seven quatrains afterwards that describe each phase, really, of life, beginning, middle, end. And uh, that is absolutely stunning, absolutely stunning. And, and it's an eyes wide open thing by obviously a, a master of it, you know. <laughs> by a master of eyes wide open. Yeah, eyes wide yeah, open, yeah. yeah. Yeah, sure. Yeah. In your neck of the woods, are hospices using acupuncturists these days? You know, um, I don't, I, there might be a few acupuncturists who are allowed to come into hospices. It's a pretty open system. So I, I think it's a patient's requests. Uh, I don't think, um, you know, there's a number of hospitals, too. So there's possibly in, in the southwestern part of British Columbia that, that there are some acupuncturists. But uh, nobody that I know has told me about doing it on a regular basis or being able to go into the situation. So I think it's wide, wide open for that possibility. And then coming here finally 15 years after the article was written to, to talk to it to my colleagues in the language that I'm using here, which is a bit, you know, when you're in medicine, you're often you're keeping your mouth quiet about things that aren't, you know, like hard science and so you can see in front of your eye or the concept that we're a bag of chemicals is sort of the, the atmosphere, right? <laughs> but I really know it isn't with doctors. I mean, we now know that it, you know, it's, it's much bigger than that, right? You know? Well, I've certainly seen with this group yeah. of doctors. Yeah. There's great respect and great curiosity and interest in the bag of chemicals. Yeah. And an even deeper curiosity in all the stuff that's not a bag of chemicals. That's right. That's for sure. So I, I see this, uh, along with many trends, the fact that these, there's so many articles like this one on the end of life, the last 12 days of life, which is really a good article about being compassionate and it's an experience. You know, that's, that's huge. And the reader response was stunning in Medscape, which are mainly physicians, but also many other healthcare providers and acupunctures read that because... Anyway, the science is changing, and the discussions aren't all just just scientific. They're about behavior, many things, social, you know, you know, so it's a broad broad range of things that are looked at. Any other remarks for our listeners who may be perhaps close to facing an end-of-life situation themselves or mm-hmm. connected with someone who is and in terms of how they might be able to help facilitate these kinds of transitions? You know, I think looking at that original article and, and even getting an atlas of, because you're just using your fingers, where acupuncture points are, if you know an acupuncturist, you know, find out where they're located and just using your hands could be of help. I I was with an old friend who, uh, you know, I, uh, I arrived at the hospital and, and, and just before he was dying, he was uh, lucid in the morning and when I arrived was unconscious and, uh, and then it was just me there uh, and he used to work with me and, and uh, and, and then his original girlfriend arrived, uh, and it's just the two of us, his original first love, and then me, an old buddy. And so I just sort of, uh, yeah, I did some points in his chest, yeah, I, and, and, and I was talking to him as if he could hear, and, I, and at that point I did believe he could hear me, because I could see his, even his very weak breathing shift as I'd say some things, and I, I quoted some Rumi po- uh, some uh, poems from um, uh, another uh, sort of German poet, uh, 
that were really quite profound. He wrote the uh, Duino elegies. You know, I, I either, uh, had you know. So anyway, I was quoting some poetry and talking to him, and and his uh, old girlfriend was there, and we just sort of went through it all until his breathing stopped. Right, and uh, it, it felt you know wonderful to have just arrived there at that point in time. It just used my fingers, you know. Yeah, yeah. just arrived there. Yeah, wonderful. that's right. Yeah. Ron, thanks for hanging out today. And, oh, that was uh, great. Sharing your experience about this. Hope you enjoyed this episode of Everyday Acupuncture. If so, please take a moment, click on the iTunes review button, and leave a review of the show. And be sure to tune in again next week.